battleship. B four. K. J one. Huh. Miss. J ten. Oh, he's hot like battleships. East Screen, West Screen. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Everybody. Welcome back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is episode 57 for Tuesday, March 1st, 2011. As always, I am your host, Paul Fox, and joining me from a secret location from somewhere in the Fragrant Harbor is the man himself, Mr. Kevin Ma. Hi, everybody. I, I'm still bobbing my head, Paul. This is the first time I heard the theme before the actual recording. Yeah, so yeah, we're still bobbing my we've, head. Uh, we finally got to set up a little bit more professional this time, um, and maybe in the future, maybe we might do some live streaming, uh, but that's for the future. For now, we are here to talk about movies and other stuff. Uh, this is the show where we talk about films from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. As I mentioned last week, um, we were doing an interview with uh, Mr. Scott Johnson, a one of the founders of the podcasting genre as we know it and because that interview went on for a bit longer than uh, i had planned for i decided to break it into two parts so without further ado i will bring you now part two of the interview with scott johnson all right well let's talk a little bit about since we're talking about technology um you know, the, the current trend in technology and talk um, is, you know, you've got 3D in the cinemas, which mm. I guess is sort of a cinematic response to streaming and on-demand. Um, and with more and more people getting stuff, you know, at home, I'm guessing the theaters are kind of scared, so they're trying to come up with new gimmicks. Um, yeah. And there are people who'd rather just get the movie day and date on Blu-ray or DVD even yeah. and not even deal with the theater experience. So they have to beef it up. So what are your thoughts on on 3D? I mean, because 3D is not just popping up in cinemas. They've got a whole slew of technology that's coming out over the next year. You know, 3D TVs, 3D video games. Um, but do you think it's going to stick or do you think 3D is going to be like the Betamax um, or if you're a bit younger, the DivX? Uh, technology well, of the next yeah. few years. <laughs> oh yeah, Divix. Forgot about that. Man, what a mistake that was. Um, well, look. I mean, the the it's actually kind of a, a, a probably not a very good, good comparison because in the case of Betamax, it was a superior technology than VHS at the time, and still, you know, Betamax still gets used in radio stations and production and stuff like that. It's a, it was a it was a superior tech for tape. Um, for whatever reason, I still don't quite understand why I didn't become the dominant feature or dominant standard but how those things work out sometimes is a little bit weird but in the case of um of 3d th you know through we've, we've been to this pony show before like 3d was a huge deal in the 50s it was a much you know weaker thing it was an analog experience and now with digital digital 3d you're creating experiences that are much more technically um you know 
uh, higher fidelity and, you know, they're, they're actually good at it now for what the effect is supposed to be. But I don't think it's going to last, and here's here's why. Number one, they're just forcing it down our throats at the moment. It's just a you know, ah, oh, it's the next move, it's the next big thing. Well, everything I've seen in 3D, including Avatar, just gave me a headache. So you're not doing a thing for me. And now, when that when there's a movie coming out that's in 3D, except with the exception of Tron, I wanted to see that in 3D, and it was actually a pretty good 3D uh, movie. Like they they didn't drive me too crazy. Um, it was fairly subtle, but, but when you, when you're trying to force that down my throat, I will always, almost always 99% of the time opt for the non 3d option. And I'm just one guy and it's just my opinion. And I realize that there are a lot of people that are excited about it, but until there's not a pair of glasses involved, I don't think this works. Mm -hmm. And I know there are technologies in, in the, in the works, um, on a small scale with things like the Nintendo 3ds, but also, on large scale TVs, and then I don't know what they do in movie theaters. That's another problem. See, that's here's here's why I think 3D in movies is going to kind of go away. Is it's not very good. Number one, number two, the technologies that will lead to better 3D experiences and glasses free and positioning free 3D experiences, which are coming, are going to be home technologies, and again push people away from theaters because the theater's not going to get that right away hmm. or figure out a way on that large of a scale to make that work. So everybody's desire to have 3d is pushing them toward a 3d experience where I don't have to wear giant second pair of glasses on top of the ones I wear already to a just normal sit there and watch TV experience, but that's not going to happen in theaters. So it's like this vicious circle. So um, would you, do you foresee a day, you know, in the, maybe the distant future when the cinema experience is, is basically gone or has become like, you know, the, the drive-in, the swap shop experience where there's just like maybe one around and people do it just for nostalgia's sake? Maybe in the short term, but I think the long-term end, end game for this is these technologies, like a lot of science and a lot of tech, uh, are just stepping stones to something cooler. I think what will probably happen, I, I think we're, we are in what would be referred to as the infant stages like silent film was to maybe what cinema is now. We are in the infant stages of eventually getting to a place where a movie experience to everyone there or wherever you're consuming it is you being in that world watching it in in real 3D. In, in other words, scenes being acted out before your eyes that you could walk around and in and from and and essentially a holodeck, but you know, just a projection that you would be able to consume that way. You could sit in a, you know, imagine a scene like uh I mean, this 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 opens all kinds of artistic questions, which you know I don't know if we can answer on this show, but but let's just imagine you're in Pulp Fiction and you're it's at the the opening restaurant scene, and what's his name and what's her face, Amanda Plummer and the dude are over there arguing, talking, and they're about to go off, stand up, and start blowing the place apart. You could watch that from the vantage point that Quentin Tarantino wanted you to watch it from, or you could decide, I want to sit in the fifth booth behind them mm. and see what that that perspective was like. Or I want to be outside the restaurant and then watch the fireworks go off. Um, I want to be able to do that and hear the dialogue as if it was on a radio. Or I don't want to hear it at all and be surprised. <clears throat> I think that's the kind of thing we're working toward. And I, I realize that's a huge stone's throw away from where we're talking about now. But, but this feels like baby step uh digital tech that will lead to bigger stuff later mm. but and in a way it, it it's almost sounds like you're describing more like a video game 
you yeah. know, like being yeah. sort of in a virtual world and, and you know, going through uh, a scene kind of like being in an encounter um, and then having, yeah, you, you, you know, having the option to maybe do it with friends or when you, the next time you do it, do it in a different place. Yeah, that you're you're exactly you're exactly what I'm saying. That that is where this stuff is headed, and and whether we like it or not. And I know there's a lot of people who, you know, want even in video games, they want to lock you into a narrative and not let you have any control for parts of it. Um, and then there's others who let you kind of do that. You can kind of move your head around. You can sort of walk in a different way. You can be a part of the cinematic storytelling, but you can also uh, do it from the wall or walk behind the guy or stand in front of him. Yeah. So there's a lot of that already happening. Unless you know, you're in Resident Evil, and then they've got those dang real-time <laughs> events that always kill me. <laughs> yeah, those are the worst. But you can see what I'm saying. Like that, that feels like a, a narrative uh, 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 thing that will that will slowly start to take over lots of kinds of the ways we consume stories. Will be a bigger part of things. And there are people that just aren't going to play like that. And there mm. will always be a way for people to let their own vision be the thing, and that's all there is, and you can't mess with it. But I also think that. We're, we're definitely headed toward a place where, where audience participation, even if that just means, you know, where you are virtually within the, the space is going to be a bigger deal moving forward. I, I think there's no way around that. Hmm, interesting. Um, I, one thing I'd like to ask you about, too, um, since you, you know, you are a person who's a, you know, a fan of all kinds of media, video games and movies, um, is about the way we collect and, and we consume these. And I know that in listening to you talk on the final score, you, you, you talk yeah. about video games, you talk a lot about uh, buying things from what we would consider the cloud. For example, you buy a lot of video games through Steam. Um, yeah. You do a lot of watching your movies on Netflix. Um, and this brings up the question that, you know, I've read about in a couple magazines and I've had some discussions with friends, and I, I think we've talked about it on the show before, and that is the future of the so-called library, the, the you know the physical library where we've got bookcases of games and DVDs and and things versus the so-called um, cloud library. Do you think that's going to be a reality? Uh, yeah, I do, and I think that the notions of ownership is is trickling away. I think that the 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 I see if you'd have asked me this question, I don't know, six seven years ago, I probably would have said. Oh no! I want to have I want to have games on my shelf. This is I'm not letting somebody else control that. If I'm paying them money, I better I better have some physical. You know, old man talk is what I would have for you for for that question. But I have slowly been eked out of that. I, I at this point I really have no desire to collect movies anymore. I just don't. I don't have the space. I don't want to collect comic books anymore. As much as I love comic books, and I do, I love them. But man, the iPad and Comicsology and apps like that have changed the way I consume comics, and I don't want to go back to storing a bunch of bagged comics. Is it cool to have something here or there? Yeah, it is. I mean, look back on something I had when I was a kid or some rare issue. All of that stuff's cool. But it's cool in a way that is kind of an era that's leaving us. And and now I just I just don't care. If I, just, I can just have reliable services to count on, that's all I care about. And Steam is that thing on PCs. Xbox Live Arcade and PSN are those things on consoles. And we're, you know, we see things like Netflix and Hulu. They're, they are reliable sources for this stuff, for what they provide. And it even comes down to stuff like if you'd asked me five years ago, hey, um, let's get a new store up to sell your stuff on uh, for your Frog Pants stuff. Uh, let's use some outside third-party source to do that. I'd say no way back then. Mm -hmm. Like not a chance. I need to control that. I need to have that. I need to make that myself, which is a huge undertaking. Now, no way, man. 
But then again, I feel this way about new computers. If I need a new computer, I'm not building it like I used to. Yeah. Like, that sounds terrible to me. <laughs> but right back now. in the day, that was the only way to do it, right? I mean... Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But we've gotten to a point where, you know, there, there's something to fit everybody. This, this ecosystem of the internet has provided a, a way to just sort of, you know, make it possible to, to, to get what you need to get done for pennies on the dollar and have it work really well because there are trusted sources. And Steam is a trusted source, and Netflix is a trusted source, and I, Apple and the way they do things with their Apple ID is a trusted source for me. And you know, it's it, there's sizes to fit all people, but but I generally just don't care about that anymore. Music, all that, I don't want discs anymore. I don't want physical media. I just want to you know rely on these services. And well, so far, they've they haven't let me down. One of the things I notice is like, especially with the young generation, like my students and and uh, even younger kids, they don't buy stuff. I mean, they have, they get it digitally if they want it. You know, they don't, they don't buy that. I don't see them in the, in the movie shops buying movies, um, right. you know, and they're not in there buying CDs anymore. They're getting everything digitally and they don't have this same sort of clingy sense that, oh, I've got to have a physical copy ingrained in their head. Um, but the thing that still scares me, and I, maybe this is part of my old man talk coming through is, you know, I, cause I, I do a lot with iTunes and, and some of the other places where you can buy digital content. But they don't really seem to have the notion that if I buy something, but then something happens, my computer crashes, my hard drive crashes, you know, that I can't download it again necessarily. You know, some, some of the well, stuff I may have to buy again. It's not... Well, the, currently, according to iTunes, you can... I've never had to do it, so I've never been able to prove this, but their policy is that you can re-download anything you buy. Um, and that's true. I know it's, well, it's certainly true of apps. So if, if, I, if my iPhone died and my computer exploded... And I and I literally have, you know, I think I have thousands of apps that I purchased just to review on the show. Um, they, I can get all those again. Hmm. So it, it's all about your account. And I think that's the way it's going to have to be moving forward for things like that, that you're downloading and then using. Um, but for, you know, in the streaming world, obviously, it's just an account issue. It's like, oh, well, my account gives me access to all this. If it all explodes and I have to get something new, well, I still have my account and I can still get access to it. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I just, I think there are going to be small variations in the way that works, but my understanding right now is if you lose that album that you bought on iTunes last year, you can get it again because you are shown to be the owner of it. But I'm, don't quote me on that because I've never had to use it. So I don't know for sure, but I, I'm pretty sure that was a policy change a year or two ago, something hmm. like that. All right. hundred percent on that, but I think so. Um, one last thing I think we'll get you to talk about with us is, um, this, thing called nerdtacular um <laughs> which is uh yes. you know a convention i guess you'd call it but it it started out um as just sort of a gathering of people you know who built the community around the work that you did your artwork uh, your cartoon mm -hmm. ca cartooning and your podcasts mm -hmm. uh getting together on a day uh and watching a movie together um it's now going what are you going into your fifth year now yeah, this will be our fifth. Let's see. It started in 07, so yeah. yeah. Is this the fifth one? Fourth one? Fifth one? Yeah, whatever it is. I yeah. think it's the fifth. Um, um, yeah, But it's, it's going to be a little bit different this year. In the past, you've basically centered it, centered it around a film screening. Mm -hmm. um, and this year, you've kind of it's gotten so big that you're taking a little bit of a different approach. Mm -hmm. um, so what do you think it's going to become? Um, you know, in the future, what do you have expectations of what you'd like to see it become? <clears throat> well, yeah, I mean, 
And in 07, it was literally just locals too. Like the whole idea was, hey, you know, anybody in and around the Salt Lake area, let's get together and see this movie. I'll rent the, you know, I'll rent the theater out. We'll do prizes, but pretty low key. And I think we had like 100 and, 120 people show up or something and it was free. Uh, but the response was like, whoa, this is great. We should do this every year. And I thought, okay, well, maybe we'll do that. And then the next year, I think we, we did it again. We had uh, double that amount of people come and about 15 people came from out of town, like flew in from all over the place, including some foreign countries. And I thought that was crazy. And that was 08. And then 09 rolls around and we had 50 people flying from all over the world and 350 or something people show up. Uh, and then this last year we had 500 people come and we had something like near a hundred of them were out of the st out of state and out of country. And it just got me to thinking, wow, okay, if we keep, I mean, it, it's just kind of orga organically doing its thing. And we were always limited by the number of movie theater seats, right? So that number that keeps jumping up is because I kept getting a bigger theater. And I just kept thinking, well, geez, but I mean, eventually we're, you know, there aren't many theaters that have more than like 500 seats in it. So, you know, I, this is kind of going to become to see either, either we stick with what we've been doing and we, it never sort of changes again, or we try to take it in a new direction and it was a really hard decision, but this year we have decided to do that. So it's basically a mini convention this year. We're gonna we've rented this huge four story uh, kind of like conference center type place. Um, it's uh, we're probably gonna cap the tickets right around five hundred just to keep it from being too crazy, because um, the main hall where most of the interesting stuff will be happening seats about that many people, and we don't want to you know go too crazy but the, but there's no specific movie this time although there are lots of people watching movies after or before or nights after or whatever but but it's going to be an all-day event with panels almost all and maybe all uh, actually i think everyone's in, is planning on coming but all the producers of frog pants shows that includes veronica belmont tom Merritt, roger chang everybody who i work with like brian dunaway randy jordan uh brian ibbett eric van skyhawk eileen rivera everybody's coming um, and they're going to be a part of these panels all day and we're going to have various kinds of panels and there'll be signings and there'll be, uh, food and there'll be a place where people can have booths and tables and show off their stuff. We have sponsors again, uh, huge prize giveaway stuff and, you know, swag bags and the whole deal. And it's like a 12 hour event instead of this little two hour movie. Um, and so we'll see how that goes. You know, I'm, I'm basically willing to just let it do what it wants to do. If, if it wants to grow bigger that next year and get up to a few thousand people, great, we'll do it. And we'll figure out how to make that work. Um, if not, if we, if this wants to be the holding pattern for a couple of years, we'll do that. You know, we're not in any rush to, to make it be something more than it is. I just want it to be a strong community driven, um, opportunity for people to meet and greet and for me to give back a little bit and, and to, you know, just have a good time and, and kind of foster that community because it is one of the greatest communities in the world. I, I think the people who who listen to my stuff, follow the sites and are, are part of this are just incredible human beings. And I'm I'm stoked to have another one of these. I'm really excited this year. All right. Let's talk a little bit about uh, movies of 2011 our, mm. as we sort of wrap this up. Um, what are your predictions for the best and worst comic book films of 2011. <laughs> well, there's so many of them coming. Yeah, I'm really worried. I'm really worried about Green Lantern. Mm -hmm. I have real concerns about it because 
uh, on the surface, it could be good. It could be solid. Uh, it's a good character. It's got some good lore behind it. With the right people, this could be fine. Uh, the trailer really makes me nervous. It's too laughy, goofy. Um, I, I don't. I don't like all that self-referential superhero humor that always comes up in these movies. It drives mm. me a little up the wall. I just need them to be true to the characters and true to the source, and, and just let us be the audience and quit quit trying to, you know, wink at us all the time. And I feel like that's kind of happening with that. But it's a trailer's a trailer, and it's really hard to tell. Uh, I also think the CGI in there looks a little sketchy. But anyway, there's that. Um, I so I, I, I that one's on the fence for me. I think. I think Thor looks looks awesome, but might disappoint. Um, so I guess I'm on the fence with that one too. Hmm. Uh, the one I'm most excited about should be a comic and isn't is Sucker Punch, hmm. uh, the new Zack Snyder movie coming out here in a couple of weeks. When's it? I think March comes out. Um, I think anyway, whenever that is, it looks like a comic book movie, and that guy's a comic book freak, and he's in between. You know, the movie he did before this was Watchmen, a comic book film, and he's about to do the new Superman reboot after yeah. this. So, you know, he's got some he's got some chops. He did 300, of course. Um, so I'm very excited about that. I think Zack Snyder is going to be the new voice of of the geek, of the grown-up geek for a while, um, bringing this stuff to screen. I think he does an amazing, uh, amazing job. Um, Captain America has probably got my highest hopes. I think that that looks like it could work pretty well. Um you're 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 always a one of two approaches to Captain America. He's either a propagandist American, you know, goofy character, or he's a total badass and is you know the head of the Avengers and is the the heart and soul of of Marvel. Um, and I'm kind of in that latter category. I really like Captain America. I love his storylines in the comics. I love the conflict he had with Tony Stark during the um, during the Civil War series. Um, I hope they bring some of that out and they get kind of gritty with him. So I have high hopes for that. I think that's going to be uh, awesome. And, and again, you know, who knows? The, the big the big winner here could be Thor, for all I know. But I feel like I feel like Captain America is rooted in some some cool reality based science fiction that could be could be fun. So, sort of building on that, we've got uh, we've already had Iron Man and Iron Man Two. Mm -hmm. We've got Thor coming up, and then Captain America. And I guess we've got a couple more Avenger origin movies on the on the table before we get the Avengers movie. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think what else do we have? Who's um Well, I guess there's a is there an Ant Man? I don't know. Uh or I, Yeah, but are they gonna do I that's the thing is I know they're I <clears throat> I can see them doing individual films for all the key dudes. I mean, we've had the Hulk and we've had Iron Man and we've had um what was the other one? There was another one. Yeah, I can't think of it. Maybe that's all we've had. Well, anyway, but then we have these two this year. But we're getting another Hulk before the movie, right? That's <coughs> true with that's Mark Ruffalo. Cast. Yeah, and Ruffalo's awesome. I'm stoked for that, and he'll be great. Yeah, I, I guess he's signed on for the Avengers as well. So I like that 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 continuity's cool. But what a weird Hulk thing to do to have three Hulk movies in the span of ten years. I think that what they need to do. <clears throat> I thought the CGI in the last one was okay. I thought it was more true to the comics, um, and so I thought it was, I thought it was all right. But I. Uh, I think that they need to. Whoever did the start, the new Star Trek reboot, the CGI when he was on that snow planet getting chased by that huge whatever the crap that was. Mm. Whoever did that, they need to approach that dude, that team, and say, "Can you guys work on the Hulk?" Because there is a visceral quality to that to that 
character design or that creature design and, and movement and animation style that is so appropriate for the Hulk. The Hulk needs to be a little bit more pissed, a little bit more let's tear stuff in half and more visceral for lack of a better word. And mm. if they can if they can do that, that'd be great. I just don't want to see another origin story of the Hulk yeah. because what else are they going to do? They're not going to pick it up halfway through some story. Maybe they will and then tell it in retrospect. That's, that's but, my big fear for Superman too. Yeah. That's you know, true. Well, see, but the thing is, they haven't done a re. I mean, have we ever gotten a true origin reboot since the Donner film in seventy whatever? I don't think we have. So yeah. I'll, I'll bet you they are. Which is, again, I don't. We all know it, so I don't feel like we need to be told it again. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm just kind of hoping for. You know, I don't, I don't want any more Lex Luthor. We've got they've got enough of the the teenage aspect on Smallville and that kind of stuff. I know it's different, but. I want, you know, I want a smack down, drag out, you know, Superman 2 style fight, but with like Bizarro or Doomsday or some, but somebody not, you know, not another another smart guy coming up and go, oh, I found a piece of kryptonite, Superman, it's bad. Dooms- you know? Doomsday or any of that stuff would be <laughs> Brainiac, whatever. All that stuff could be interesting. Um, I mean, people, Lex Luthor's the iconic villain, right? It's kind of like, do you do, do you ever do Batman without at least having the Joker there for a bit? If if you, you know, if they do a Superman without Lex Luthor at all, that that I think that scares the executives. I'm not mm. saying they couldn't or shouldn't do it. I just think that would make them chicken. It would be like saying, well, let's do Batman and never have the Joker involved. Um, but that said, you got to give Christopher Nolan credit for the first Batman movie that, that he did, that Batman Begins, um, having, uh, you know, this Ra's al Ghul, this completely... Uh, for a, in a lot of mainstream movie fans' minds, anyway, a completely obscure villain yeah. that they've never heard of before. You know, I big props for that. I yeah. thought that was great. San, and also, uh, is it not Sandman? Scarecrow. Yeah, Sandman. Scarecrow. Why do I say Sandman? Uh, Scarecrow's is a little bit more mainstream, but still, you know, he decided to go kind of with the weirder part of the rogues gallery there, and not just jump straight to Riddler, Joker, or Penguin. There, I hope he never goes to Penguin. But anyway. Um, and he's doing Bane in this next one, and you know, they decided they've decided to go down that road. And I really think he should just consult on every superhero movie ever made. You know, <laughs> I, I mean, concur. he should just be the guy. Yeah. He should. He should. I don't. Oh, I for, I totally forgot about First Class. The um, oh yeah, uh, the new X Men movie. Uh, I'm I'm more and more excited about that as that's as that's getting closer. Um, it seems like they're going to be true to the origins of that book and a time time frame and. All of that. That's that's very exciting to me, that film. Yeah. All right. Well, I think I need to pull the uh, plug on our geek overload here because um, <laughs> we've been going on a little bit longer than I expected, but uh, it's all good once I get down to editing. Um, right. So, Mr. Johnson, where can people find out about the work that you do and uh, all your different shows and, um, you know, where they can access you if they would like to? Uh, best place to start and find just about everything is frogpants.com um that's really the the home of link every, everything's linked there i mean myextralife.com is the comic we've been talking about but all of it can be found there as well as some other projects and all the shows are there um they can listen live there they can be in our chat rooms they can join our forums there's all kinds of cool cool ways to be involved um but also if they follow me on twitter that's a great place to find out what's happening right now in the here and now with different things and uh, on twitter i'm at extra life Follow me there as well. All right. Uh, so we'd like to thank Mr. Johnson, Scott Johnson, for joining us here uh, for this interview segment. 
uh, sir, it has been a pleasure and an honor from one of your grandchildren. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm on, I was honored to be here. It was a lot of fun talking to you about this stuff. This is all so in my wheelhouse that I could talk about it all day, obviously. But uh, thanks for having me. It's been fun. East Green, West Green. All right. Just again, I'd like to say thanks to Scott for spending so much time with me and for deciding to, you know, do the interview for the show. It was very informative and I was, you know, really having a good time picking his brain on his thoughts and ideas, especially about, you know, some of the technological things that um, he looks forward to in the future. And I look forward to as well. For now, let's move on to talk about some news. So, Kevin, we got some news. Yes, yes, sir. Um, where do you want to start? Well, a uh, little thing called the Oscars. That just happened, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, a little uh, little known film award called called the Oscars, uh, the Academy Awards. Um, that was giving out uh, two days ago, I think, on Sunday night, America time. Um, and uh, kind of a split decision. Um, everyone... The big fight was between the King's Speech and Social Network, um, and I'm sure a lot of people are going to say the King's Speech won because it won Best Picture and Best Actor and Best Director. You know who needs one of those? Um, but yeah, so the, the King's Speech, the movie about the uh, stuttering British, British monarch, won four awards: um, Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Director, and Best Original Screenplay. Meanwhile. The Facebook movie, The Social Network, also won four awards. Um, I guess, quote-unquote, the more minor awards. Uh, best Adapted Screenplay, um, Best Music, uh, Best Score, uh, Best Editing, and... Um, whoa, only three awards. Haha. Um, so only three awards uh, for The Social Network, uh, sadly. But uh, Inception uh, ended up also tying with the King's speech with four awards, uh, all technical awards, uh, sound mixing, sound editing, best cinematography, and um, I believe best... Um, I had to, Best visual effects. Mm. Um, did, you, did you happen to catch the tweet? Um, I saw somebody, I don't remember who it was, had retweeted a tweet from kevin smith mm -hmm. and he had mentioned something like um you know it's a he finds it amazing that a film can win all these different awards you know for things like editing effects and 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 everything and be up for all these other awards and the award for the director is nowhere in sight as if well, the director has nothing to do with any of those other areas right well i mean a lot of these technical stuff they're they're recognizing the people who who did the work, the technical work? Um, it is it is quite a crime that Christopher Nolan was not not even not not even nominated for Inception, even though he was literally the captain of that whole ship. He wrote the movie. He he I, I think uh, he usually don't even have a second unit, which means he he was there for every single shot of the film. Uh, and he, of course he also directed the film. But um, I I don't know if I fully agree with that. Uh, especially since a lot of these awards, especially visual effects, uh, sound mixing, sound editing, these don't really have, in terms of technical stuff, they don't really have anything to do with Christopher Nolan. Um, cinematography can argue, you know, okay, Christopher Nolan, he is... Yeah, but guy. isn't it ultimately his decision to bring these teams on board and to sort of 
have the final say as far as you know yes you're 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 fulfilling my vision or no this isn't what i want no but these guys fulfill the vision these guys did the work they're recognizing the work that these individuals do not not the film itself for example alice in wonderland crappy movie but really good art direction which i agree costume design really good but Whereas Tim Burton is nowhere because the movie is not good, you know. So it makes sense for these technical awards to win things, even though the director may not be uh, nominated or recognized. Yeah, but, you know, he's having a good night anyway because his wife's movie won a lot of stuff. Or is it uh, his girlfriend? Did they get married? I don't remember. Oh, Christopher Nolan and no, 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 Tim Burton. Mm. Um, and then Bob Carter, yeah, yeah, yeah yes, yes, uh, the King's Speech. So I'm sure he's happy, but well, plus I, he might have had an idea that Alice in Wonderland kind of sucks. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> if he doesn't know by now, get a hint. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> back to the uh, other awards, the acting awards. Um, again, Colin Firth won for the King's Speech. Um, another Brit, uh, British person, uh, Christian Bale, uh, won for the Fighter, a supporting actor. I read somewhere it is the first time in however many decades that uh, the acting, the the male actor award was was swept by uh, British actors. Um, actress Natalie Portman for Black Swan, kind of expected. We have kind of a Natalie Portman week this week, and we'll go back to that later. Supporting actress Melissa Leo, the Fighter, which means both supporting actor and actress are covered by the Fighter. Um, anything else? That we, oh, animated feature film, Toy Story Three. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's any other choice. Nah. Um, a great choice. I mean, it's not a bad choice. It's no, I mean, it was. It, it was just you know, it was it was the expected choice. I would have, I would have hoped that you know we talked about it last time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it's almost the same thing as it's like the King's Speech of animation. You know, a Pixar movie winning. You know, it's like uh, a, a really safe. Both the King's Speech and Toy Story 3 are really safe choices. The King's Speech is, you know, it has World War II, it has a historical figure, it has British people. Um, it's a perfectly safe choice for Best Picture. So I'm not going to disagree with the King's Speech winning because, you know, you know the Academy voters uh, skew kind of older. But if you ask me, uh, Best Director should have gone to David Fincher. Um, I still like The Social Network better as a film. Um so personally, I thought I would have liked to see the Social Network win, but um, again, the King's Speech really a safe choice, but not kind of not really a surprise, not really a, a rob or not really a, a injustice or anything. Uh, what do you think, Paul? I mean, you haven't seen the King's Speech yet, have you? No, it's not playing here. I think it opens this weekend or uh, fairly soon. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing it. I really want to see it. Yeah. It um, also, need to get out and see True Grit. There's a lot, you know that that's oscar related that i just haven't had a chance to see yeah um, we can talk about um a true good a little bit later because i saw that this past weekend um that is kind of a that is for me the kind of really really safe choice because the coen brothers um they won for no country for old men and since then they've kind of been um academy favorites i mean when it comes to nominating 10 movies they have to be you know coen brothers movie they have to be on it but i didn't think true grit really was their strongest work i think it's I wouldn't say it's weak. I mean, it's a fine film, but I don't think it's deserving of 10 Oscar nominations, especially when it came at the expense of Christopher Nolan getting nominated. Yeah, that's a valid point, I think. All right, so we can talk more about Oscar stuff um, in upcoming shows after we've seen a couple more of the films. For now, let's move on to our second bit of news, and that is a bit more localized, the Hong Kong International Film Festival. 
has gotten up and running. So, Kevin, you've been out, you've been buying tickets, spending money. Yes, sir. Um, I Again, I don't need to donate to this festival. I mean, I know they're asking for donations, but every year I spend literally thousands of dollars at this festival um because i love it i mean they they have four weeks they used to have four weeks of movies um over 300 400 movies um in this three four week period and it's really the best time for me to catch up on everything i need to see to give a chance to certain movies i don't get to see um this year's a little different um they went six days shorter uh even though they still have over 300 movies um, and I'm also um, working full time now, which kind of limits my choice, especially in daytime shows. Well, most of the films do have at least two screenings. Usually they'll have an afternoon and, a, and maybe a weekend or an evening screening. You'll be surprised. Um, for example, um, there is a documentary named Peace um, directed by Soda Kazuhiro. Um, actually, a director I quite like because I saw uh, Mento uh, from him two years ago about mental hospital in Japan. His latest film is playing here, but... They're playing on a Monday and a Thursday uh, in the afternoon. Uh, the, the director is here for both shows, but they're both in the afternoons. Hmm. Um, also, the uh, filmmaker in focus this year, uh, Wai Ka Fai, they're showing a lot of his um, classic films. For example, How uh, Many Ways to Be Number One. Uh, you have uh, Needing You. You have um, The Longest Night. Um I'm, I'm flipping the page here. Uh, Peace Hotel, Wu Yan, Fat Choice Spirit, My Love I Sees Ghost, um, uh, written by Matt Detective and Running on Karma. But almost all of the films are playing on a weekday in the daytime. Um, mm. The one that I was really I guess, I guess their to, their thought thinking is is that the people who are going to watch those are probably going to be coming in from out of town. Local people probably already have them on, you know. Some, some form of video version, and well, would probably not be watching them again in the theater. Well, the problem is you have too many ways to be number one, which is really hard to get on video, and that is playing on um, the night of the Asian Film Awards. You know, that's when all your guests should be going to the awards, not going to the film festival. That's um, And it's a shame because I have to be at the Asian Film Festival, uh, Asian Film Awards myself, so I have to miss essentially all the Wake Up Fire movie that I wanted to see. Um, it's essentially the problem is that they've, they're fitting in way too many movies in way too short a time. Um, I know they want to have a bigger focus. I mean, they, they have some real nice reason for shortening the schedule, but it becomes kind of, um, especially when they raise ticket prices on normal or night showings by $5 this year. Um, it's really kind of a shame that um, the scheduling is not, really so great this year but anyway uh enough of that why could be worse i mean they could be screening everything in 3d oh they are screening two films in 3d well at least um that's actually one of them uh we're gonna like um it is tofu kozo the the legendary um uh tofu boy as a japanese animated film that'll be in 3d um I think that might be the only film in 3D. Just one or two film, films in 3D. But yeah, you're right. I mean, at least not all the films are in 3D, but that's because um, there's 300 movies. And film festivals kind of do tend to skew towards the art film. Um, but not the opening film this year. The opening film this year is uh, Johnny Tone and Waikafai's uh, Don't Go Breaking My Heart. That's the romantic comedy starring uh, Louis Ku, Daniel Wu, and uh, Gao Yuanyuan. Um, there's been trailers floating around uh, on the internet. Um, I wouldn't say it's a surprising choice because one, Media Asia is a big sponsor of the festival, and two, John, it's Johnny Toe, 
when there's a new John Tone movie, you have to have it open the festival. Um, the other opening film is the Omnibus uh, Quattro Hong Kong Two. Uh, this follows last year's uh, Quattro Hong Kong. Last year, all four directors uh, were local directors. This year, they kind of breaking out and um, recruiting overseas director, including uh, Briente Mendoza, if I'm saying it right. He's from the Philippines. Um, Hao Yu Hang, uh, he was the director of um, uh, At the End of Daybreak, the uh, the film that got Kara Hui the Best Actress Prize uh, at the Hong Kong Film Awards. Um, Apicha Pong, um, well, he's Thai. <laughs> um, this is the director of uh, Uncle Boomy, um, who can recall his past lives. Uh, I like call him Apichapong. Uh, most people call him Joe. Uh, the fourth film uh, is the local representative. Uh, that's Danny Kwan's film. So uh, those are the two opening films. No closing film this year. Uh, the link to the web to the festival will be on uh, the. Um, on the website when you post up the episode, I assume. Uh, so then people can go look at the uh, full schedule there. Yep. All right. Last bit of news this week. A little bit of news coming from Zhang Ziyi about uh, Wong Kar Wai's Ip Man film. Um, yeah. Is that still happening? I mean, I thought we were kind of with uh, Bruce Lee, my brother. We've kind of moved beyond uh, the Ip Man and the Bruce Lee phase, right? Well, that's the thing. Uh if we, if I remember correctly, the Wong Kar Wai uh, It Man film that's called The Grandmasters, it was announced um, around the same time as the uh, Donnie It Man movie, and Tony Leung went to went to training and they were shooting and everything seemed fine. They were aiming for uh, I think Christmas um, 2010 release, and then it wasn't finished. Um, it still wasn't finished. I know someone that's working on the film uh, as of last year and asked him, hey, uh, when's it going to be finished? And he says, that's what everyone wants to know on set. No one knows when it's going to be over. So when Zhang Ziyi came, uh, went uh, I mean, to Milan uh, yesterday or two days ago for a fashion show, they asked her, hey, how's, how's the Wong Kar-wai Grandmasters movie? And she says that he's still shooting. Um, which is kind of expected for Wong Kar-wai. The man is notorious for taking very long to shoot a film um, and going to set with no script, really not knowing what's happening every day. Um, and um, so right now there's still no end in sight for the shoot of the Grandmasters. Um, I would think that right now Wong Kar Wai is trying to aim for Cannes this year, but it's starting to look like he's aiming for next year or the year after next or 2046 Cannes Film Festival, sometime like that. Um Apparently, he, at least he's still shooting. He's just shooting and shooting and shooting and not know when it's going to be over. And I'm sure that um, Wong Kar-wai might have trouble finding uh, Chinese investors for his next movie. I'm wondering how, how his bo- what his bosses are thinking right now. Hmm. Yeah, just, uh, well, I mean, it's kind of, like you said, status quo for the way he works. Um, but I don't know, he can't keep it up forever, can he? Well, he did keep up um, 2046 for five years. Um you would think it's a bigger budget movie than he's used to. Uh, it's a kung fu film. You might think that you know he might work a little bit on schedule, kind of like he did for my Blueberry Nights. He delivered that movie fairly, fairly quickly. But um, I, it would seem like I would think that uh, other future possible Chinese investors might be a little, might want to be a little cautious next time they want to invest in a Wong Kar Wai movie. I mean, they, not knowing when the film will be delivered, not knowing which festival they can try to deliver it to, not knowing which. Um, Big holiday period and schedule it. Yeah, I mean, Wong Kar-wai is we're trying to do a commercial film, but he's not doing it in a commercial cinema way. 
Uh, I'm not worried. I mean, one car wise used to this, but um, I do want to see this movie sometime in my lifetime. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Kongcast.com for more. So we want to talk about some East Screen films for this week. Actually, one East Screen film. We didn't have any local Hong Kong movies last week. But we did have, at long last, Space Battleship Yamato. Um, I have been eagerly anticipating this film for a long, long time. And I shouldn't have. I mean, I I knew that was going to be my problem going in. (laughs) Um, What can I say? Uh, Basically, uh, you sank my space battleship. (laughs) Um, All right, so to be fair... um, we went into this film hoping they would have English subtitles. Um, they did not. Uh, they had Chinese subtitles. It was in Japanese language. I was able to basically plow through with uh, my poor Japanese and my primary level of, of you know, Chinese literacy um, and basically kind of knowing the story from the anime, of which I've been a fan for many, many years. Um, <clears throat> I, I don't know why they did what they did um, with this film. It's basically, you'd call it a reimagining, um, uh, you know, an update, uh, a reboot, uh, a boot to the head. I, <laughs> you know, that's kind of, that. that's how I felt coming out of the theater um, the first time. And I saw it twice. I, I, I eventually went to the Mongkok uh, because we'd heard that the Mongkok theater had subs. No, so I watched it twice without uh, English subs. Um, I'm glutton for punishment, what can I say? Hmm. Um, so, okay, to be honest, the first hour, and it's a two-hour film, is actually pretty decent, pretty good. Um, if you are familiar with either the original anime from Japan or the sort of re-edited U.S. version called Star Blazers, um, you'll be familiar with the first hour of this movie. Um, it keeps a lot of things right, but it throws in a lot of quirky changes, and that kind of messes things up, at least for me. Um, there are some major character changes um, altogether. You have Kimura, who's basically playing the main character, um, who in um, English was called um, uh, Derek Wildstar, and who in, in the original version was um, uh, Godai. And... I was kind of afraid when I knew he was going to be in the role because I thought, well, you know, he's such a big star and, you know, he's got all these, all this fame in Asia because of his, you know, TV dramas. And I mean, I, 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 he was okay. I've seen, you know, Long Vacation and some of that stuff and it was okay. But I was afraid he was going to come in and kind of dominate this film with, you know, having the camera focusing on him, lots of close ups and things and, and kind of did, especially towards the end. Um, but I mean, his character's kind of in place, um, as the Godai character, but for example, the Yuki Morty character, who people in the West would know as Nova, in the original anime, she was a nurse, right? Um, she was part of the the medical staff, and then she later was up on the bridge, uh, as a, 
as a bridge officer, I think, um, running one of the consoles. Here, she's like in charge of the, 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 the Black Tiger Squadron. And, you know, she's a, a two-fisted bad girl. You know, she goes around punching people out. I'm like, wait a minute. This is not, this is, this is like a total revision of the character. So I kind of got the sense they were trying to pull a Battlestar Galactica on me. They're trying to, trying to make these characters, some of them, really extreme. Um, but the first hour basically follows the plot of the first series. You've got um, the Earth basically going to war with an alien race called uh, Gamelus, or the Gamelons in the English version, who are bombarding Earth with these giant space asteroids. And it's causing a lot of radiation. People have to move and live underground. Um, the U.S., or, or not the U.S., it's the U.N. Space Fleet, something, which is all Japanese now, I don't know why, but... Um, they're the ones defending Earth, and their technology has no match for the Gamelons. Their ships are just no good at, uh, at defeating the, the Gamelon ships. And then they get this message, um, saying that they have this, they have this technology from this planet called Iskandar, um, and they need to come and get it, right? And this technology can help clean the Earth. It can rid the earth of its radiation and turn it back into a lush green planet and so it's with this in mind that they commission um they secretly build the space battleship yamato um, they have to do it underground to sort of keep it hidden from the notice of the gamelons and it is equipped with this uh, warp engine that allows it to traverse the great distance to get from earth to iskandar and the warp engine also gives it the ability to fire what is, you know, the famous wave motion gun. And so that's it. Um, Godai uh, gets assigned to the ship, uh, despite having some conflicts with uh, the captain, Okita, or uh, Avatar, as he was known in the West. And off they go to save the planet. <clears throat> so the first hour is great. Uh, a couple kind of neat space battles. Effects are pretty good. Then in the second hour, sort of after they warp out of the system, things kind of go downhill. Um, it goes all sort of stormship troopers, in you know, and that was you know you've got marines coming in and they do this landing assault and a lot's changed. And I don't want to get into too many of the changes because I don't want to give too many spoilers. But I'll just say, if you've seen Yamato, the animation or if you've seen Star Blazers, you know that it's a Leiji Matsumoto work. You know that he has a very distinctive art style. And in part, um, his characters were brought out by that, that art style. And some of those key characters are not here um, in the way that you would expect them to be. For, for lack of a better point, they're in fact missing. Um, the Gamelons themselves, you'll remember, were blue humanoid aliens, very much like humans, and they had, it was later revealed in later series exactly why they were attacking Earth. Um, and then here, they're changed into these kind of very alien, alien-esque type of beings, which I guess, you know, you can say, okay, well, they wanted to be, it, it's an update, it's a reboot, but even Battlestar Galactica had the sense to keep the Cylons you know, the, the Centurions, somewhat like Centurions. I mean, when you start changing too many core aspects and too many core characters, I think you're really running the risk of isolating fans. So the whole second hour, I felt, uh, you know, what are they doing to, uh, to the series that I love? 
And it's just got some weird pacing in that second hour. There's like, I mean, you know what's going to happen if you watch the series. You expect certain key things to happen, and sometimes those things happen, but then sometimes it's doing things that happened in other series, and then sometimes it's doing things that happened in the second movie, which everybody hated, and they don't even consider canon because they came back and turned the second movie into the second series, which changed a lot of things from the second movie that people hated. So it's like the the creators here didn't learn from the mistakes on the first Yamato movie. And for such an anime classic, I really expected better. I mean, because this really is a classic in terms of both, you know, setting the standards for animation um, back in the day and just having so many series and so many movies come out from this series. It's, I feel like... I don't know, it's just like, they were, were they not paying attention or were they just trying to make a name for themselves by being different? And again, I think I'm approaching this from a very skewed point of view as a big fan. Um, and that if somebody's not a big fan, don't know the series, they might see this and think, okay, um, it's not that bad. Uh, but I'd have to say, if you're a Yamato fan, it's it's a see it. You gotta see it, you know, just to see, the, see what's going on in the first hour. Because again, that, that's nicely done. Um, but you're going to be disappointed with that second hour. Uh, Kevin, what, what are your what are your thoughts on it? Okay, well, this is the view of someone who's never seen the uh, the anime, never heard of anything, maybe seen images. Um, and yeah, that's that's all I've seen. Um, and I say, uh, get the hell out of the theater, <laughs> Jesus. Um, okay, so I'll just go back to the beginning where I I still have my sanity attached to my to to my brain. Um. The director Yamazaki uh, Takeshi, um, he's a director who who knows special effects very well. He was a special effects um, man, I guess. He did special effects before he became a director. Uh, he directed Returner, the the sci-fi film starring uh, Takeshi Kaneshiro. Um, very special effects heavy film. Um, and then he went into mixing uh, special effects and drama uh, with the Always series, two films, uh, Always Sunset on Third Street. They took us. They used special effects to recreate 1950s Tokyo. So in a way, they were mixing really heavy special effects images, but with human drama, and that worked really well for him. It was a huge success, both uh, in terms of critical and commercial um, acclaim. Um, worked really well for him. And then this, and then this, this, and his previous film Ballad was kind of his return to more genre, I guess, big budget blockbuster film. Um, even then. I felt it had kind of potential. I knew he was doing it. Um, I also know the writer, who was, which is his wife. She also wrote uh, K-20. Uh, she wrote and directed K-20, which I thought was, a, again, an interesting attempt, a Japanese attempt into Hollywood blockbuster. So I thought, hey, this, this could turn out well. Um, and it kind of happened what you might expect would happen when a special effects whiz makes a big-budget blockbuster for his first film. He ended up putting a lot of emphasis on special effects, um, most of it looks okay. They look good, sometimes good, sometimes not so good. Um, there, there's a big issue with the space battery that we talk about later on uh, about shooting things shooting in, into nowhere. Um, uh, but again, really, it's way too heavy emphasis on special effects. Not much emphasis on real directing, um, which is what happens when. Um, I'm sorry. I mean, what happened is that you have way too many wide shots of people talking and they would go for a long time and no cuts and 
Um, it relied on speeches, a lot of dialogue, and then speeches. Um, way too many speeches before everything. Um, especially the very, very end when um, a speech got needlessly long, and then um, to the to the point where you're thinking, "Hey, wait a minute! If you know, if people were really speaking at this dramatic pace, you know, how many times would the bad guys get their way?" By this point, um, really weird pacing, uh, even on, on in script form. Um, the the whole story was kind of structured like a vi- stages of a video game. Where um, the the victory music, the dur, 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 music is replaced by a lot of <laughs> cheering in the cockpit. You know, every time they win yeah. something, it's like all the people just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was really weird. Um, it's like, and it happens every fifteen minutes. Uh, speech, big battle, and then cheer, and then speech, and then battle, and then speech, and then cheers. Yeah, and it's like that for about two hours. Um, and again, the special effects didn't really make sense. That's the and, and additional to the stuff, the shooting into nowhere that we were talking about a little bit after this. Um, is kind of in the second half, especially in the second half. Um, uh, logical issues, you know, like really, you know, this is how you're gonna break into the base of the enemy that just destroyed your planet for the last few years. Is really that easy? That kind of thing. Um, this um doesn't really make sense, even in the sci-fi logic. Um, I never saw the anime, so I was gonna ask you: Was this the entire Battleship Yamato story? Well, I mean, is that really it? In in the first series, basically, what it is is you the the, the like I said, the first hour is kind of close. There are some things they changed and and whatnot, but basically, yeah, the whole the whole first uh, I think I want to say it's twenty six episodes, um, is them going to Iskandar, uh, getting um. They, well, it was called like the DNA cleanser or something at the time. I can't remember something with a D, and bring it back to Earth, and and so that was that was the whole first season. Um, but a lot of the stuff, I mean, that happened um, in, in this was more indicative of what happened in the movie that came after the first season. Hmm. Um, and in that movie, a lot of the key characters died off. And it made people. It was supposed to be the la- It was supposed to be the end uh, of of the series altogether. Um, <clears throat> and this was around the time that Star Wars was going. And I think, if I remember correctly, the movie, that movie actually, as as an anime, was doing better than Star Wars in terms of box office. Hmm. Um, but it made people really upset because they wanted more and they didn't want certain characters to die and things. And so they rebooted um, that story as a series again. Only they changed things to make the fans more happy. So the movie, you know, is really not considered canon anymore. It's like this separate side story that never really happened. Um, and then the second series tells that story again over a longer arc. And some of the characters that are in the second series that weren't in the first series are in the movie here. So it's, like I said, it's a combination of things. But then you've got other key characters and other things that are changed. I'll throw out a little bit of a spoiler here. In... in the original series, um, Iskandar and Gamalus were twin planets, right? Um, in this in this movie, they're a single planet, like two sides of a coin. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's you know they, they they change that and just other things and you know the way they like I said the way they depicted the Gamelons there was this whole whole assault it goes on for forever 
and you're just going, why are these guys doing this? This doesn't make any sense, like you said. And it's just like a long storm Stormship Troopers segment, like for 30 minutes. Actually, it, it was as, as bloody as Starship Troopers. I would have, you know, sat up and, whoa, like, whoa. But no, it was it was just kind of boring. You know, it yeah. was way too much special effects. It was a lot of, a lot of computer graphics flying around. You're, and you know that you know who is going to, you know, just map the, the pop star. He's going to get through it. Um, and you're, you're right. And it is kind of interesting that they, they were so willing to kill off major characters along the way, which is, again, why... Which, again, doesn't make sense, especially if this film does well and they're thinking anything sequel. like a sequel. Yeah. You know, it, 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 so um, it, it just made me think that it was a certain core of producers, creators who just wanted to take the title and make a big splash for themselves. But it, it really loses the sense of homage to um, the original artist and, and what was originally set up. But yeah, you were talking before about um, some of the ways in which it shoot. You know, the the ship itself uh, is is often you've got such shots of it just shooting. You know, stuff out into nowhere. Um, yeah. the, the the space battles themselves, especially in the second half, got really disappointing um, because you can't really see what's going on. You don't see the ships. The ship designs um, are also quite different from the original ship designs. Um, the ship was really well lit. You know, for a ship that's, you know, going light years into space, it's really well lit, kind of yeah. like a TV set. Yeah. Um, but, but like, the enemy ships were a lot more organic. And, I mean, in the original, there was a lot of emphasis placed on maneuvering, and, almost like sea battles. And, I mean, it was it was based on the, the concept of sea battles a little bit, but in space. But there was a lot of, you know, positioning to get targets in range and stuff and... Um, a lot of that is not present here. It's just a lot of like random firing and not a whole lot going on. So we got a couple West Screen films this week, right? Yep. Um, we're going Port Mania this week. Yes, Port Mania. Um, two films from Natalie Port Portman. The first called No Strings Attached by director Ivan Reitman, who you might recognize from such classic films as Ghostbusters or uh, not so classic like My Superhero Ex-Girlfriend. Something like, what was that? Was that what it was called? My ex-girlfriend is super, yeah, super my hero. super ex-girlfriend. Uma yes. Thurman or something? Yes, Uma Thurman. And of course, the uh, as a Californian, I am I am uh, legally 
upgrade to recognize kindergarten cop. It's not a tumor. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, Kevin, why don't you take us through this one? Because you've seen it. Yes. Yes, sir. Um, no strings attached is um, about, I guess, friends of benefits, so-called friends of benefits, um, as the title suggests. Um, what it essentially means is um, you and uh, someone of not necessarily the opposite sex, uh, you two have a friendship that also involves sex but no love. Um, but No Strings Attached uh, specifically focuses on um, a couple, I guess, uh, a celebrity's son uh, played by Ashton Kutcher and an aspiring medical student played by Natalie Portman. Um, they have been kind of meeting their whole lives. They first met at camp when they were kids and then they saw each other again in college and then they saw each other again when they were adults. And then um, after um, the Ashton Kutcher character has been dumped by his uh, girlfriend, and uh, to- shacked up with his father, he goes kind of a drunken rampage and uh, ends up in the uh, house of Natalie Portman character. Um, from then on, they, they develop um, a friends-with-benefit relationship where they just have sex um, and no cuddling, no no real romance, even though uh, the Ashton Kutcher character, the sweet lead man he is, uh, is kind of hesitant. Um so of course later on uh, complications arise, and um, Natalie Portman's character is still resistant to um, uh, commitment. So the relationship fall- relationship falls apart. Now will they get back together? Uh, I've seen a romantic comedy. I kind of know the answer already. Um, anyway, into the film. Uh, this kind of a Apatow, I guess the Judd Apatow school of comedy. Uh, some a lot of verbal humor. Um, there's no hesitation about using profanity. Uh, a lot of uh, swearing. Very much a rated R comedy, but without the icky, you know, Fairly Brothers kind of gross out stuff, which I kind of liked. Um, I thought the the film was really good in nature. Uh, it was kind of sweet. Um, a nice romantic comedy. I wouldn't say it's romantic per se, but again, it's a movie that's not really mean. It's just everyone's really nice, kind of nice. Even the uh, one small hint of a villain kind of goes away right after that hint. He never comes back. Um, and I kind of like that, even though it's a Ray R comedy. Uh, it doesn't really de- deliver on the, 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 the premise of the uh, friendship benefit relationship. It doesn't really deal, or it, it kind of felt like it went into the film knowing it was against it. Um, it, it almost uh, started off building up its own um, its own morals, you know, believing in true love and a real romance and everything. Um, and as a, as a result, it doesn't really follow up on what is what what was so special about it. Um, however, the, the leads were really cute. Uh, Ashton Kutcher always plays that bumbling leading man kind of well, even though he's getting older, he's getting he's actually kind of getting better at it. Um, Natalie Portman is Natalie Portman, um, always lovable, uh, very good. But um, one thing in the script that I didn't really get is why the whole we were destined for our, our lives to be together thing. You know, why couldn't they just meet and then have this relationship? Why do they have to start in the beginning uh, when they were kids? Which is why I, which is why I mentioned the whole like uh, uh, how the film went in deciding on its own morals. Um, Ivan Reitman, uh, he, he, he's, a, he's a comedic director. He's always good with comedy. But I, I looked at his filmography. He's never really directed a straight-up straight romantic comedy before. And he's kind of rusty on the romance part. Um, the comedy delivered, I thought the um, stuff with 
the Ashton Kutcher's character's friends. Uh, one of them is Ludacris. I thought I thought that stuff was funny. Um, Kelvin Klein as uh, Ashton Kutcher's dad. That was he was funny. Uh, the as the star dad, he was really funny. I thought. Um, of course, the film doesn't really deliver as as well, I guess, as um, a really good romantic comedy should. It's not really that memorable. It's kind of forgettable, uh, fluff. Um, it goes by, you know, pleasantly. Um, and I kind of like that, the fact that it doesn't really try to do much. Um, it tries to, you know, be entertaining for an hour and a half. Um, and it kind of does what it does. It reaches really low ambitions. And it's hard to really complain about a film that doesn't really try to do that much when it doesn't end up not doing that much. Um, so for me, it's like it's reaching for a five and it, you know, it got a four and I'm talking about five out of 10, you know, uh, it reached, it was reaching for a five and it got a four, it got a five. Um, and for me, anything after that is bonus. So, you know, low strings attached is kind of enjoyable, um, enjoyable TV movie, I guess in the afternoon. Um, I would say TV it, uh, see it if you're on a date, um, and you know, forget about how well you want a date to go. If you're on a date or, you know. If you're a girlfriend, you have nothing to do on a on a on a on a weekend afternoon. I would say, you know, see in the theater. But otherwise, you know, it's it's a perfectly pleasant TV thing. Um, what about you, Paul? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it, it was okay. I'd say it's classic boy meets girl, boy loses girl story. Um, you've probably seen it in some variation or form before. The key difference here is that there's a twist in the gendered sexuality. It's reversed. So you've got the Natalie Portman character being the one who wants to have the one night stand, who wants to have the friend with benefits and the Ashton Kutcher as the sort of guy looking for love and a commitment and these kinds of, you know, things that traditionally have been sort of reversed. Um, But other than that, it's more of the same. It's, you know, um, you know, he's got his bromance friend guys who are, you know, giving him advice and telling him, you know, they're like the real men of his little pack. And she's got her girlfriends thinking that he's, you know, so sweet and such a nice guy and she's crazy that she doesn't hook up with him. And um, you've seen those little kind of, you know, cliques and, and friends before. And some of those characters were really, really good. Um, I think the two leads do have a chemistry together. Um I think the dad was weird. <laughs> I mean, Kevin Klein, he's a great actor, and I love seeing him, and he's funny. He's funny here. But there's a subplot that goes on with him, and it's just weird. And it's 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 it borders on funny weird, but it's also sometimes uncomfortable weird. <laughs> um, and I thought maybe they were just trying to be too quirky and too out of bounds. But, you mean with the, with the smoking weed together thing the, the, when they're first seen together? No. Uh, that no, was... no. More of the I'm going to marry your ex-girlfriend kind of thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, well, that, um, was... <laughs> um, yeah that was just kind of weird. Um, a lot of cussing. And, you know, this scene, it, it had the look and the feel of a romantic comedy that didn't need that. But like you said, it's sort of got that Judd Aptow kind of humor in it. So they're, you know, it's like... Man, they were just F-bombing right and left. I thought I needed to go into an air raid shelter at one point. Um, and it just seems kind of out of context for Ashton Kutcher's character in particular, because he's, he's like this really nice guy 
who you don't necessarily expect him to be um, sometimes saying the things he's saying, and and really out of context for Natalie Portman too. Um, but I guess that's the 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 state of comedy today. I don't know. Um, Ashton Kutcher's backside, you know, in in full widescreen glory, didn't really need that. I know he's got the beefcake to bring the ladies in. Um, we did. We do also get a very brief glimpse of uh, Portman backside. So if you're, you know, looking at that, she is like, I don't know. It's like between this and the next film that we're going to talk about, she's getting down to as little as she possibly can without just taking everything off. <laughs> you know, and there's actually a couple scenes where you're like, oh, is she, you know, is she really going to, is she really going to do the nude scene thing here? Um, and she never really does. It's always, you know, some cleverly placed photography or a bit of clothing or an arm or something. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is not Princess Amidala. <laughs> what can I say? Um, yeah, I'd agree. I'd say this is a TV. It, it's a good date movie, but it's not something that, you know, you'd need to rush out and see if there's other stuff on your agenda. All right. Our last movie this week is The Black Swan. Um, now, Kevin, you haven't seen this, right? No, I haven't. Uh, I haven't had a chance. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to talk briefly about it and hopefully Kevin will get a chance to see it and he'll come back and give us a little bit of update of his thoughts on it. Cause this is an Oscar film and well, you know, okay, Natalie deserved the Oscar. Um, I had a little bit of an interesting tussle with this film because originally, uh, the wife and I went to watch it on Saturday morning and we got about 20 minutes into the film and the film broke. Except it wasn't film. It was digital projection. And I'm like, well, how does that happen? And um, they ended up restarting it. I guess they, like, you know, back, backed it up a little bit. And they did this, like, three times. So we got to see this same, like, five-minute scene three times in a row as they kept testing. And they finally came to the conclusion that the film had a problem. Um, it was I don't know if it was a corrupted file or whatnot, um, but yeah, they they were the, they were very nice. They refunded our money and gave us complimentary tickets to another show, um, and so we went back and saw it. Of course, we had to watch the whole twenty minute sequence and that five minute segment again, uh, but we got through it. Um, so basically, this is the story of a young girl played by Natalie Portman, who's a ballerina, and she's in a company that she's been with for a while, and she is very anxious to try and become uh, the lead the, the for the company's new season, which is opening with uh, Black Swan, or, or sorry, Swan Lake. Um, and the problem is, is that she's very good at being a uh, precisioned and dedicated and devoted uh, dancer, but that gives her a very kind of rigid and... Um, uh, how to say, a uh, sort of uptight style, I guess. And the director, the choreographer, wants, you know, the, a character who can play both the white swan, who is that you know, sort of very pristine and re well-rehearsed character, and the black swan, who's supposed to be this passionate and free-flowing character, which she has trouble with. But she's working hard um, to try and, you know, tackle this role so she can get the part. And at the same time, uh, you've got um, the old 
sort of lead ballerina who's leaving the company because she's maybe gotten too old and she's you know just some rather distraught um played by Winona Ryder in a you know a small role and so there's politics and things going on um about who's going to get the part and you've got uh, a somewhat uh overbearing choreographer who you're never really sure you know what his motivations are if he's but he's, he's basically creepy um throughout the film but then things start to happen. A, a new dancer comes in from the West Coast, played by Mila Kunis, who does a, an amazing job as well. And she sort of embodies this sense of passion and freedom that would be a perfect black swan. And so Natalie Portman's character, Nina, feels that um, she's going to lose the role to this, to this newcomer before she's even had a chance to, to undertake it. Um, and she feels that this... She tries to strike up a friendship, and she feels that Mila um, is starting to sabotage um, her chances of getting getting the part. So, as the film goes on, um, it starts to really get into this type of suspense film. Um, you're never really sure uh, at a, at certain points what's real and what's not because the character starts uh, hallucinating at some points. Um, in a sense, it starts to parallel the story of Swan Lake, if you're familiar with that. Um, and again, Natalie does a great job. She's got an outstanding, she does an outstanding performance. But by the end, I really felt there was not, they, they left too much unexplained uh, for my taste. Um, if you've seen the Hong Kong film Inner Senses, the way that that film sort of builds into this idea of paranoia and strange things, and you're never really sure what's going on. Um, this does that in many ways. It's, it's, it, it builds into that kind of a, uh, a tension. But by the end, I really want to know, okay, where's what's the rest of the story? Because there's stuff that's not explained. There's stuff that's got to be going on behind the scenes. Um and I know that not everything needs to be explained in a movie, but for this movie, I think that they could have gone further. Um, the cinematography was great, um, particularly for the stage sequences, because there are there are points when the cinematographer is basically running around with a steady cam, you know, and I'm sure he must have had a full body unit on, and he's like you know, moving in between these girls, these ballerinas, as he's focusing on primarily Natalie Portman doing her routine. And it's just amazing because, he, you know, he's almost doing a dance himself as he's circling around her in some of these stage sequences. So uh, that part I really, really liked. Um, but I think that in terms of the story, I, I, I would have liked a little bit more. This is a film that you see it once and that's kind of enough. Um, I don't think I'd go back and watch this. I'd say it's a see it. Um, you, you, you know, it's something to be experienced in the cinema. But, um, you know, we were talking before about films that will be around years from now. You know, I'll, I'll be watching Inception multiple times, I'm sure. Um, um, you know, depending on some of the other films, True Grit and The King's Speech, I have a sense that I'd probably watch those maybe more than once this one not so much that's gonna wrap things up for our west screen for this week um 
Kevin, you were kind of getting in, getting into some comments with some of the people on the on the board that I saw. You guys were talking about Johnny Toe. Yeah, um, me and I think uh, Hong Kong Dave and um, Tina Lau and Matt S. We were talking about um, Johnny Toe films. Um, how Hong Kong Dave, we we watched the uh, election movies and thought that that was really the last time that Johnny Toe knocked knocked it out of the park and. Um, I would agree if you say that, you know, Johnny Toe was a solo director. That was really the last time he knocked the film out of the park. Um, even though I still think that Exile, uh, like I said on the comment section, I said Exile is a really amazing technical achievement. Um, even though it did rehash a lot of old themes, it's kind of really the best of Johnny Toe. But it's amazing, amazing, um, amazingly accomplished technically, especially in cinematography and editing. Um, he also co-directed uh, Mad Detective White Cop Fight, which is also a really good film. But um, like I said, Election was Election One, especially was was so good that I wish that I, I had gotten to watch the three-hour cut or that the three-hour cut, the the rumored three-hour cut um, that Johnny Toe was aiming for really did exist and that we could watch it. Um, Tina now liked Vengeance. Um, I stand by that Vengeance was kind of a weak Johnny Toe film. It was too much. Election two like pacing for me. Um, when it kind of just set the tension, but didn't really take the story anywhere. Um, but what do you think, Paul? I mean, when when do you think was the last time that Johnny Tory knocked knocked the film out of the park? Needing you, really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I you know, I like Johnny Toe films. Um, I liked Election. Um, you know, I I I love PTU. Um. But I, you know, what can I say? I'm a sucker for you know romantic comedies and Andy Lau, and um, you know I, that's a film that when I think, okay, I'm gonna watch a Johnny Toe film. What do I want to watch? I want to watch that one. Mm. And how about this later White Cop Fight stuff? I mean, you know, like you got Fat Choice Spirit. You've yeah. got My FYC's Ghost, all the all the Sammy Andy movie. Yeah, I mean, um, th- those have their place, I think, um, and. You know, I enjoy all of those, but I think the one that still stands out for me is as the the penultimate Hong Kong romantic comedy is Needing You. Yeah. Um, oh, I forgot to mention uh, talking about Black Swan. You know, it's interesting because you know Natalie Portman serves as sort of the bridge for that '70s show. Um, did you ever watch that show, Kevin? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. So you've got Ashton Kutcher. On the one side, and you've got Mila Kunis, who was um, Ashton Kutcher's girlfriend in that series, on the other side. So she's bridging that little gap. But also in Black Swan was um, a young actress, uh, Ksenia Solo, who I I just started watching last year on the TV series called uh, Lost Girl, which not a great show. It's kind of trying to tie into the Twilight and the um, uh, True, True Blood vain a little bit um but i really liked her on that show and i was, I was surprised to see her um you know having a, having a supporting role here and uh and she was good too so i think that's gonna sort of wrap things up where my notes go now that they are um any final thoughts kevin before we uh sort of send this puppy out um no well congratulations to everyone that won oscars and uh congratulations to everyone that's about to win love hk film awards yeah i think that's the next big thing in in film industry yes yeah the next 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 big thing uh we gotta get get the voting done first 
Um, but yeah, we'll be back next time with uh, episode 58, hopefully to talk about um, maybe True Grit and some of the, of the other Oscar films, The King's Speech. Uh, and I'll be seeing I Am Number 4 a bit later this week, so I hope to talk a little bit about that as well. Um, as always, you can keep up with us on our website at www.concast.com. And just stop by there, leave us some comments in the comments section. We'd love to hear from you. Um, or you can drop by iTunes and leave us feedback there if you like. Um, or you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow Kevin over at The Golden Rock. That's twitter.com slash The Golden Rock, one word. And we have a new Twitter account for the show and the site, and that is Kongcast, as one word. So you can follow us there, and we'll be posting uh, anytime we do updates and things. And as I said, uh, ultimately, we'd like to start doing experimenting with some live streams maybe later, uh, and maybe after the Hong Kong Film Festival, uh, once I work out some of the technical details. Um, you can also also email us at eastscreen at gmail.com if you'd like to attach a small audio file to be played on the show. Um, we can do that as well. So, yeah. Uh, final thoughts, Mr. Ma? Um, well wishes? Yeah, well, things to my see. wish everyone well um watch the king's speech this weekend is a fine film um regardless of what you might think about how it compares to social network i still think it's a, i still think it's a fine film and uh stay away from battleship your motto sorry yes you sank my space battleship website. <laughs> all right so as always we will wish you good viewing and we'll see you next time see you next time everybody <laughs>